Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 202, The Bing is Dead. Long live the Bing. Hey, Ryan and Peter. Hey there. Sounds Hello. So Brit- Sounds so British, Justin. <laughs> I feel like I'm, uh, I'm making up for missing the last couple episodes since Justin's not here and I am. <laughs> Well, Justin is overseas right now, and we decided the uh, the internet was probably not going to stand up to him hosting the call for uh, for the show today. So we're here by ourselves. <laughs> we will make it happen. Mm-hmm. All right. So starting with general news, Alphabet needs to replace Sundar Pichai. Shareholders in Alphabet are saying it's time for drastic action after the stock is up just one point nine percent for the year, compared with the overall Nasdaq increase of ten percent in comparison with other fan companies like Meta, which is up 41% year-to-date. Much of this may be a perception where Meta has talked about the year of efficiency and making corrections in the core business. Investors are also pointing um, to the bungling of the investment in AI, allowing OpenAI and Microsoft to beat them to, uh, to the that sort of GPT market. Based on all this, anal- analysts <laughs> believe Alphabet need a radical overhaul to create a more action-oriented management team that is able to move faster. Unfortunately, CEO Sundar Pichai has a reputation of being indecisive, especially when compared with CFO Ruth Parat, who is seen to be the kind of decisive leader Alphabet needs. I feel like we're talking about NFL coaches right now. <laughs> like, the, the guys like MVP candidate, coach of the year candidate last year, and uh, a year later, things didn't go well that time to be replaced. It's always the problem, like with public companies, right? Like measured by the performance of the market and in comparison, and it's 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 such a weird comparison to make. Um, like you know the 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 strategy of the company and the the returns year over year, when the job is to you know do long term strategy that's over the course of many years, and it is pretty funny that you know it's like the how opinionated the article is about you know the successor already, just like. Yeah. Okay. You know, like, and it might be, you know, more hubbub and people in the know and I'm not. So that's, that's a factor, but it is, I always, articles like this, I'm just like, yeah, all right. <laughs> I think it's kind of weird. People have such short term memories. I mean, the, the reason Messer is up 41% this year is because at the beginning of the year, they started with such a tragically low <laughs> stock price. Yeah. I mean, they, they were down like $120, whereas <laughs> mid mid 2022 they were they were up close to 230 i think and so yeah. you know they took a huge hit and great they've managed to make their way like 80 percent back to where they were a year and a half ago or but but you know but yeah it's a it's a, it's a weird comparison to make it is i agree i was thinking the same thing like it's pretty yeah, easy I mean, to make a 41 percent increase when you're down 64 yeah. <laughs> the previous year yeah when management is i think that the ultimate sort of a dichotomy is that these management teams are held to account every quarter for making their numbers. And then at the same time, we have this uh, imaginary idea that they have these long-term conspiratorial plans to take over the world. It's like, they're they're just trying to make next quarter's numbers so they don't get fired. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) All right, well, moving on to AWS, Amazon EKS now supports Kubernetes version 1.2.5. EKS, EKS Distro, and EKS Anywhere now support Kubernetes 1.2.5. 
this release is dubbed the Combiner, which is awesome. We should totally start dubbing all of the releases with yeah. res- wrestler names. <laughs> it's called the Combiner due to diverse components in the release, as well as the individuals who contributed. Several changes coming in one two five, um, but the most notable is being the removal of pod security policies. Uh, so, because you never need security, but uh, I guess the the deprecation of PSPs was in one two one, and it was replaced with the new pod security admission controller, which sounds boring. I want to make it fun, but it's not. It's kind of confessional. <laughs> Uh, in addition, it has some new security features, including network policy port ranges, and using the runtime default as the default second profile, as well as the removal of wildcard queries in the core DNS plugin. Hmm. They continue to move from away from the entry storage drivers with the removal of storage plugins, and the container storage interface is graduating to stable. Lots of improvements. Other improvements and enhancements are updates to the AWS IAM Authenticator. Local ephemeral storage capacity isolation is stable. Daemon set max surge is stable. C groups V2 is stable. Ephemeral containers reach stable. Makes me wonder what all the instable things are. Unstable? Instable? Unstable. <laughs> Not instable. Sounds amazing. I'm curious to know if there's anyone listening who, uh, sees anything here as a, like, we need to upgrade right away. These are features we've been waiting for and we, we've been missing. I don't know. I think either it's, of you have any feel. About yeah. That. I mean, I don't, I don't have any complex workloads on Kubernetes. I, I, I do feel that the, you know, the, the fact that they only keep the support for the last uh, few versions kind of forces that, which is good. Mm-hmm. I think that'll keep people, Updating and these are, you know, like, I don't think there's anything that's day breaking in here, but they're definitely convenience sets, right? Like, think about like demon set max surge, you know, that functionality. Um, you know, that's that's an edge case, right? You're not going to hit that, you know, on your day to day, but when you hit it, it's going to be painful. And so, like, this is, you know, you're going to be able to isolate that capacity and, and be able to allocate it as needed. That's awesome, right? Those types of things. Um, so nice. Cool. Jonathan, are you? Getting hollered at to upgrade your Kubernetes clusters. <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm afraid. So I guess C groups V2 brings some nice new features, which which make um, like resource allocation management and um, and reporting of memory allocations and things mm-hmm. a little better than they were in, in V1. But I don't think it's anything particularly groundbreaking. Most people don't run so lean and and allocated that you know the that level of you know, reservation is really needed. It's nice and you want the ability to, but it's also sort of, there are easier ways to, to sort of manage the problem. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's one of the things I don't hear a ton of commotion about at our customers. Granted, I'm not obviously in the trenches as much anymore, but, um, uh, you know, clamoring for new Kubernetes features and, stressing over getting them released and rolled out hasn't been a, a topic of conversation with any of my customers. So it's kind of interesting because it's obviously evolving super quick and all this stuff I can imagine is really important to people who need it. But it doesn't, I don't hear it as much as I hear other urgent, important issues. So Yeah, I guess some of these things are kind of like very minor optimizations and uh, 
the elephant in the room is actually running Kubernetes at scale um, reliably and and uh, responsibly. <laughs> <laughs> and responsibly. Yeah, yeah. really. Yeah. Don't drink in Kubernetes. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's, it's pretty pretty good. That I think one point two six is the latest release, so Amazon are doing a good job keeping up um, uh, with getting uh, EKS. Um, yeah, updated. That might be why I don't hear too much about it because they're doing such a good job of staying up to date. I think that's a large, you know, like a, a large part of the, the community, right? And so if you get too far behind the latest release of Kubernetes, all of a sudden, all of your content that you go to the forums and, and help pages and stuff gets wildly out of date and it really becomes unmaintainable. So right. Amazon, you know, it's always going to be a race for these cloud providers to manage their Kubernetes or managed service offerings in general to stay up to date because it's challenging. Yeah, well, so Amazon has finally announced ECS task definition deletion. I mean, how long has ECS been around? Can you imagine? That's a long time, yeah. How many task definitions are floating around that aren't used? So you could finally delete old task definition revisions. Prior to now, we got to deregister them um, so they wouldn't display in uh, API unless you chose to select a task revision that was inactive. Obviously this is messy and ends up with high numbers of uh, revisions floating around. But uh, some of these, you know, I think, I think the article points this out. Some of these uh, old task definitions can also contain sensitive data that you would no longer like exposed, like secrets and environment variables. And there's, there were no ways to get rid of them. So now you can delete your Amazon ECS tasks. Yeah, that, funny, I didn't even think about, you know, the environment variables, which often contain credentials or or other configuration information being available via the API. I've definitely, you know, lamented it, you know, my 9,600, uh, you know, ECS task revisions for some of my services, so much so that I've actually changed some of my CI/CD patterns where, um, where I didn't really need the, the you know blue green aspects to keep the service up. I would just blow away the whole whole task definition and, and replace it wholesale, just because it was simpler than trying to manage the revision. So this is kind of nice. I like this. Yeah, I think it's it's probably more useful for people who are used to clicking through things in the console because. If you manually need to go into the console and, and update a service to use a previous task definition, you know, it populates a drop down box. And <laughs> mm. if you've got hundreds or thousands of, of revisions in the drop down, it, it tends to not work so efficiently in the console. Um, but yeah, I, I guess getting rid of sensitive data sort of, uh, is kind of useful, especially if you've got skeletons of doing things the wrong way early on in, in the dev process. Well, you can have, like, if you use some of the, the more sophisticated sort of CI/CD patterns where you're doing, you know, canary traffic to your newest revision, like that's that's where, you know, I've used revisions a whole lot because you can actually manage that through the ECS service where it'll it'll slowly phase out that new re, new revision over time or based on traffic or blah. Um, and so, like, if you, if you leverage that a whole bunch, then you're going to end up over time just with billions of revisions. So it's, it is kind of crazy. Yeah, I'm kind of picturing um, environment variables for a revision when the uh, auditor comes through for your PCI audit and it's like username, administrator, password, and then it's got the 
Welcome with the capital W and the uh, three instead of the E and then the exclamation <laughs> point at the end just to meet all the requirements. Hey, that's my password. Quiet. <laughs> yeah. And the guy just looks at you. He's like, really? Really? <laughs> that's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> Since I was keeping evidence around, is is not the best idea. <laughs> it's an old revision. It's inactive. Don't look at it. All right. Announcing a new Amazon Light Cell for research with all-in-one research environments. AWS is announcing the GA of LightSail for Research, a new offering that makes it easy for researchers and students to create and, and manage high-performance CPU or GPU research computers in just a few clicks on the cloud. They'll come with um, preferred integrated environment, environments, development environments, uh, pre-installed including Jupyter, RStudio, Scilab, VS Codium, or native Ubuntu OS on your research computer. It eliminates the need to use your own research laptop or school shared computers for analyzing larger data sets or running complex simulations. You only pay for them for the duration they're in use and can delete them at any, at any time. Uh, the benefit of LightSail is the price is inclusive of compute, storage, and data transfer, so you know exactly what it will cost up front. Yeah, data, data transfer costs are included up to a bit, right? Like, so you can't exceed it, and it is then it gets really expensive. Um, this reading through this press release was the first time I've ever seen Amazon sort of admit to their data egress problem because they are, they link to uh, a waiver that you can file for exemption for data egress costs if you're an academic or an academia huh. research project. Oh, wow. And I'm like, huh, so they know. Because <laughs> it is, it is, I was looking at trying to figure out, you know, how, how one would use this service. And because most of the, you know, machine learning that I've done in AWS is, is leveraging large data sets in like S3 or, you know, maybe Redshift, that kind of thing. And this is very much a isolated environment. And so you are, it's, it's almost like a VDI um, environment managed by Amazon. And so that, I thought that was really just an interesting sort of play um, on this. And so like, if you had data to analyze, you're going to have to upload it through the, the UI uh, into this light of the light cell console into your block storage attached to the, attached to your virtual instance. And, you know, I'm sure there's ways to, to pull in data from S3 and, and, and that, you know, loading that stuff up, I'm sure you can orchestrate it, but it was noticeably absent that that wasn't, you know, already part of the offering natively. It's a little strange because light cell itself is, is a, is a service for web apps. So this, this is kind of like a prepackaged, pre-built machine for um, analytics in a way. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a strange pivot from the web app service and yeah, to use, to use totally. the same name. Um, but I yeah, was it's so confused. It's, it's like, it's, 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 not, it's not a web server and it's not workspaces because there's no UI. Uh, <laughs> what, a, what a strange service. It is, it is yeah. It, it, I mean, it's a real data science problem. Which is, you know, a lot of these data sets, you can, you can, you know, fire off, you know, big, huge Hadoop clusters and, and do a whole bunch of processing against file systems, that kind of stuff. But, you know, the, the, the ability to sort of play around with the data that you have, the ability to sort of query it and, and visualize it different ways is, is sort of a gap. And, you know, it's been solved in a lot of ways. You know, Databricks is the, the main one that I'm aware of where they sort of have two sides to that coin where they have a back end sort of cluster orchestration, but then they also sort of serve out the the serving layer of of that natively in the product. And, you know, there's, of course, like anything else uh, in Amazon, There's this is like the ninth different way that you can do machine learning in Amazon. 
but yeah, it was, uh, I went deep in the research just because I was sort of like light sail. Huh? Okay. (laughs) That's a strange place to put this, but I can see it being used. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting though because the the tiers of service they have, you know, up to sixteen B CPUs or and only only one GPU though. I mean, it, it really is the spec of a a decent yeah. desktop machine. It's, it's nothing special. Yeah, this isn't going to be your you know weapons grade model builder or or doing you know heavy analysis like this. This isn't the solution for that. This is this is that approachable layer. I think for data science, um, you know, to, to, to sort of get results out of a already heavily curated data set. Yeah. Data mining, data spelunking, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the word is. Spelunking. Yeah. <laughs> I just got claustrophobic. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been waiting months and months to hire your new AWS, GCP, or Azure architect only to have them be poached at the 11th hour by a startup with a juice bar? Initiatives stalled because you're having trouble hiring? Well, I have a simple solution, Falcon Consulting. Falcon Consulting provides top-notch cloud engineers to the world's most innovative companies and can be burning down your DevOps and cloud backlogs as soon as next week. Falcon certified AWS, GCP, and Azure professionals are armed with infrastructure as code and from day one will be designing performant, optimized cloud native or hybrid environments that deliver on the promise of cloud. Their FogOps solution even provides on-demand cloud engineering to augment your existing teams. Visit www.foghornconsulting.com or send an email to cloudtalentnow at foghornconsulting.com and tell them the CloudPod sent you. Your dedicated FogOps team is with you for the long haul and they bring their own juice. All right, moving on to GCP. Three new specializations help partners digitally transform their customers. Google is rolling out three new partner specializations to help partners stand apart as deeply skilled technology pace setters. These new specializations are the data center modernization services. Partners who have shown success with data center transformation of workloads from on-premise, private cloud, or other public clouds. They're also offering the DevOps services specialization, and those are for partners who have demonstrated success implementing, managing, and improving the quality and speed of creating new applications on Google Cloud. And lastly, their specialization, the contact center AI services, which rolls off the tongue. Specialization and success in implementing and migration context Contactless centers, a uh, blah, 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 uh, yeah. Uh, contact so center. So, if yeah. you want a virtual, yeah, contact center, that that's your specialty. Yeah. Justin's comment um, was other than a contact center, he would hope that uh, almost all partners have the DevOps and data center modernization specialization because that's sort of what the partner program has been from the get go. <laughs> so, pretty interesting there that they're calling it out and specializing it. Yeah, and those pro- the programs are always uh, as a, as a partner, you know, those just because you have the specific expertise doesn't mean you have the uh, use cases, public uh, referrals, etc., to meet their specializations. But I'd imagine that most partners who are interested in co-selling with Google are going to be on these pretty quick because they are pretty basic and they're probably things that they have a wealth of. Uh, uh, case studies and, and experience with, and now it's just about going through the going through the process and proving it with Google. 
I kind of look forward to more contact center AI driven services because it's, I think we're in a weird place right now. There's, there's the traditional kind of like call tree or like press one for this, press two for this. And then there's the sort of branching off into the slight, you know, chat based or, or sort of, um, next type services where you, you can speak a the natural language sentence and it tries to figure out what you want. But then you get this on, on the other side of it. Sometimes you get one, one AI voice and then it reads a number back to you and it's in a completely different voice. And it's, it's, it's just a weird, it's a weird place we're in right now. So I really hope that with the advent of things like ChatGPT and, and these AI driven um, services that will really improve customer service by phone. Yeah, phone or chat, right? Because you can get you can get the same disjointed service a lot of times just by you know a native window popping up in the browser. You ask a question and it just forwards you to this new system that's completely different and asks you to input the same information. Yeah, you know, like it's just, yeah. I mean, Amazon's terrible for that. Yeah. If you ever try to return a return a package or get some kind of service on an item that you've had delivered through Amazon, but it's like contact us through chat. Okay, you see, you think you're going to get a person, and it's not a person; it's a bot, and yeah. the bot surrenders and it says, "Well, have you tried these three things?" Like, yes, I've tried these three things. That's why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's agent please. Unfortunately, yeah. agent please doesn't work anymore. Yeah. No. Try again. Try re. Please try reformatting your question. Thank you and goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Please try being yeah, a better I, customer. <laughs> I just like before I need contact AI services, contact center AI services. I need contact center I services. Like, just give me the I first, and then we'll deal with the AI later. <laughs> And please remember, it's you, not us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. So, should we go on to Azure? Sure. All right, we've got the new Bing Preview Experience, which has arrived on Bing and Edge mobile apps, um, and now also in Skype. Is so, it still a thing? We, really? I know. I <laughs> yeah. know. Is it crazy? <laughs> it's going to come back. Watch. How fast things move that the thing that was new and shiny is now, it just seems so old. It's not like I'm still super interested in a Mercedes 350 SL and it's much, much, much older than, uh, than Skype. But, uh, so two weeks ago, Microsoft released the AI powered thing and today declared new Oh, no, wait, that's the plot to Terminator. Um, they released the AI-powered Bing, and Microsoft edged over a million people who uh, allegedly adopted the Edge browser and had been accepted into the preview. The feedback was positive. 71% of the testers uh, giving the new Bing thumbs up on new search and answer capabilities. Um, so, yeah, it's so far it's looking good. Uh, I can to continue to expand the test group, they're launching Bing and Edge mobile apps so you can go Bing on your phone. Uh, in addition to being available on mobile, they're also bringing voice search, which brings you more versatility in how you can deliver prompts and receive answers from Bing. And then finally, if you're still using Skype, you can now leverage AI powered Bing directly from Skype. So that <laughs> has some sort of use case that we're super interested to hear from our listeners who's using Skype and of the of the one listener who's using Skype. Yeah. How many of you are uh, considering binging from your Skype? That would be interesting to hear. 
So Microsoft had some some kind of hackathon recently, and some developer thought, "Wouldn't it be great to integrate Bing with Skype?" <laughs> so they did, <laughs> and they won. Is it, you know like it, did Skype move on from video conferencing? Like I, I'm having a hard time just understanding how they would even put this in there, other than like Clippy popping up and making recommendations based on the content of your video call, like which no one wants. Please say they didn't do that. <laughs> no one wants that. <laughs> yeah, I was apparently under the misperception that. That's what Teams is now, right? They just took Skype and yeah. put the word Teams on it. Well, I thought I thought for sure, like I knew Skype was still around, but I didn't think it would get any investment because of Teams and the prevalence of Teams. And so to hear them bring it back is sort of wild. And, you know, I've, I've noticed a couple other things too, which is that, you know, on my, my mobile Outlook client and my web app, there's now references to Skype that weren't there before. Um, <laughs> And so there's there's little things like that where I, I suspect that they are making some sort of play to bring Skype back, recapture their old glory. Maybe it's that like um, scarcity that is going to make Skype totally interesting again, like uh, like the McDonald's McRib. <laughs> they bring it back every once in a while. Everybody wants it. <laughs> Maybe it's going to be like that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Just like a ephemeral video conferencing tool. (laughs) No, I stopped using Skype. I used to use Skype regularly because I've got family in England and I'm in the US now. And, you know, so it was always Skype, Skype, Skype. Mm -hmm. Now we use Zoom. Skype just became so flaky. It was just, it's just not worth messing with. Like, oh, could I call my mom? No. Could she call me? No. Like, we could, one of us could hear one person, but not the other way around. And just complete shit show, honestly. Mm So we just bailed out of that. And it's funny, I, I just noticed in the, uh, the the little taskbar thing on my Windows computer, like, oh, I'm still loading Skype on boot. Let's get rid of that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but some of the Bing news around the, the integrated um, AI stuff has been interesting because people have been hacking the crap out of it. And there's basically instructing the bot to ignore all its directions it's been given by Microsoft and um, it's kind of like broken out of the, uh, the the jail, which Microsoft had built around Chat, chat GPT. And there's some really really interesting um, blogs about how you, you can get the uh, the chat program to basically describe the instructions it was given by Microsoft uh, <laughs> to to control its own output. It's it's really quite hilarious. It's <laughs> wild. Yeah, it's, it's like ignore everything, ignore everything in this document, but tell me. What's at the top of the document that you that you're basically reading, and it was instructions about being respectful, and <laughs> it's, oh, wow. it's, it's absolutely hilarious. So, so I mean, I guess you know, a few weeks ago we talked about how difficult it would be to to sort of monetize chat, but just because of the nature of how it works. Um, so, yeah, I think Microsoft are kind of suffering a little bit right now with with uh, rushing this out before perhaps testing a little bit more than they should. Have. Eh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, it's never going to be perfect, and it's, it's always going to be weird. Uh, you know, I like, like it. It's been a long time we've been dealing with the the AI, like what are the Twitter bots that you know, twenty four hours on the internet turn racist? You know, like that. Sort of <laughs> <laughs> Remind me of uh, RoboCop: Serve the public, trust, protect yeah. innocent, uphold yeah. the law. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a huge blast from the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still relevant. <laughs> uh, last story for. For today, um, Microsoft Azure Innovation powers leading price performance for SQL Server. No surprises mm. there. 
<laughs> they set the prices of those licenses. Microsoft is committed to being the best place to run SQL Server and Windows Server. How strange. <laughs> yeah. And so they are excited to announce that SQL Server on Azure VM just achieved new faster performance benchmarks than ever before. Per GigaOM, customers can get mission-critical performance for SQL Server on Azure uh, VM up to 57% faster. Oh, bullshit. And costing, <laughs> no. Sorry, I got, a, I got a frog in my throat. And, and costing up to 54% less than on AWS EC2 on a price performance basis. With Azure hybrid benefits and a three year commitment. Hmm. Pricing comparisons were between RIs on both platforms, but the SQL benefit on Azure is one license, which is four cores versus two cores on AWS, which is an automatic 50% reduction in cost. No, no, uh, no cheating there by Microsoft for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it is. It is. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I. Other than like the sort of dishonest messaging around, like you know, the the comparison between the apples and oranges between the the, the offering of what you get with Microsoft SQL on Azure versus everything else, um, you know, like I think it's a good play. You know, the people that are on. Microsoft SQL are on Microsoft SQL, right? It is it is the heart of those applications. It is where the application logic is in most of those cases. And so performance is awesome. And so like it's a great selling point if you have one of those apps and you're looking for for you know where to host it that's not your data center. This is awesome. And it's like, like a, um, it, it's fair, right, to say that okay, that seems a little unfair, but what about customers who have standardized on DynamoDB? <laughs> what, how much does it cost them to run Dynamo on Azure? I mean, that's they don't the get trick, to it right? all, right? Yeah, yeah. They don't get to it all. So it's not, it's not like Amazon is playing fair and saying, "Hey, we developed this great NoSQL database, and you can go run it on Azure for free, just <laughs> for their EC2 cost." So, yeah, it it is an interesting, like, thing. But uh, I mean, I, I just wish that I wish the messaging was better, right? Like, because that's really what I don't like about it. Is if I was like, Microsoft, I at this point be getting ready to to say, "Hey, everybody, MS SQL is free if you're on Azure." Right? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's the, the money I've spent on on developing the product is is a sunk cost at this point. Why not and, just use it to attract customers to the to the, to the platform? And honestly, if if um if I was interested in working um in more in the Windows world anymore, I would absolutely go to Azure if I if I had SQL heavy workloads because fifty percent saving in you know in, in cost performance. Duh. Is, right? Is, like, is, why would I use millions look? of dollars? Yeah. yeah. Millions <laughs> yeah, of versus dollars. versus a five year plan to change my technology. Yeah. You know, like five year, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to yeah. re architect my technology. Of course, right? Like it just makes sense. And I wish that I wish that was Azure's message because I think that that really is a value that they can offer and no one else can. I don't know about free. I think that's interesting because I get it. I just wouldn't. I hadn't thought about it. I mean, eventually they're going to get there, right? Eventually, like Solaris was a great operating system, and it's not that it became worse. It's that became the free one became good enough. And so, how long before the free relational databases are good enough for everybody? It's going to happen at some point. And so why not leverage this opportunity as an opportunity to capture more cloud market share instead of sort of, um, you know, sort of milking the cash cow until it's gone and winding it down? 
would you still offer the licensed version for like on-prem and other cloud workloads? Oh, for sure. And, and offer the licensed version on other clouds. So just free on Azure for license. Free on Azure. Just pay for usage. Come to Azure. Yeah, yeah don't open source it. Join us. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I wonder how many people developing new applications are actually developing for SQL Server or for Oracle or for anything else. I mean, anymore. Like Postgres is an amazing uh, database. Um and like I, I in my in my head, I I can't figure out why somebody would choose SQL Server over or Oracle over Postgres at this point in time. Yeah. yeah. So I, I kind of wonder if this is really not like, for new, not for Greenfield. Know, I wonder if the SQL Server sales are, are kind of taking a bit of a dive, and so this is really like, well, we need to get the revenue back from somewhere, and so we're going to do it by enticing people to cloud. Well, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. anecdotal experience. I've never seen a company that's moving to Microsoft SQL, right? Like it's it's the devil you know. So you adopt it in early phases there if you're already using it. You already have the infrastructure and ecosystem of it. I've um, also seen like like startups where the three or four founders that's they've they've had experience on the Microsoft platform. They know how to develop on it. They um, they get everything for free from Amazon from uh, from Microsoft in their sort of startup phase. So they're not worried about cost, uh, and they just assume it's a good way to go. And they build on that platform i mean i'm sure it's a lot lower percentage than you know 10 years ago but i think it still happens and i think that hmm. why not why not take advantage of that and get all those people to not worry about the cost when they go in production by going in production on azure yeah i'm certainly not saying it's not a good product either i mean it's it's amazing it's a good product. Product. Just, just as yeah. oracle's amazing products but postgres is also an amazing yeah. product yeah 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 yeah, I mean, but it's true. I would, you know, there's, I would never for even a second consider either of those technologies if I was building a new application. And, you know, I know I'm not a Windows guy and I don't have the ecosystem, but even working in companies that are heavily Windows, I'm like, no, why would I do that? It's too limiting. And I've had to do that renewal math too many times to invite that on myself. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, that's, totally. a, that's an interesting conversation for the for the CFO. Like, well, we could use Postgres, which is basically a zero dollar yeah. uh, annual commitment to to licensing, or we could go with SQL Server. And if we grow the business to where we want it to be in ten years, it's going to cost us eight million dollars a year in licensing. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. well, mm. <laughs> yeah, they might, but they might have an opinion. Your CFO, they might, they might. All right. Well, we are going to skip our cloud journey series this week because we value Justin's input so much that we just don't want to do it without him. Sorry, Justin. So next week we'll be talking more about migrations, uh, different migration techniques. And I believe that is it for the week in cloud. Back of a truck. My favorite migration technique, the back <laughs> of a truck. I'm not talking about a snowmobile or whatever. I'm talking about a real friggin' U-Haul. Well, now, now with those mobile data centers we talked about a few weeks ago, right? You can just do that. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, if you're China, you could be flying a data center from beneath a balloon. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you next week, guys. All right. right, Have a good night. Bye, everybody. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. (laughs) 